Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be here this morning and to be able to bring to you uh, some words from the Scriptures. And uh, those two verses that were read are so rich with truth. And uh, we could spend about five hours, I think, on those verses, but uh, we'll, we'll take a few thoughts out of each of those. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we come to your presence today. Lord, we thank you that we come expecting to hear from you. Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Heavenly Father, may you take away any thoughts that might be a distraction, Lord, in our minds today. May we be completely focused upon you, awaiting your words to us. And Lord, we pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'd like to begin with uh, the thought of consecration. That we as Christians need to be fully consecrated unto the Lord. And I was searching the scriptures trying to find some, some activity and some verses and some words that might be encouraging and practical to us today in this regard. And the Lord led me first to John chapter, chapter 12, which we read this morning. When uh, Mary uh, took, well then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odour of the ointment. As I read those words, I thought, you know, I think herein lies a little message for us about being consecrated unto Christ. Three times in the gospel records, we come across Mary of Bethany. And each time, she is at her master's feet. We first meet her in Luke chapter 10. It came to pass that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard and listened to his word. Next in John 11, we see the mourning. We see Mary mourning her brother Lazarus following his death. And she carries her grief to the feet of Jesus. She fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. That's the second. And the third reference, the last time we see her is in this, this chapter, John chapter 12, where six days before the Lord's crucifixion, she breaks that precious alabaster, adorningly at Jesus' feet. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And wiped her feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odour of the ointment. From these three glimpses of Mary, we see a threefold example from which we may learn much. Firstly, she sat at Jesus' feet to learn. That was in the house with Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Then she took to his feet her grief. That was at the passing of Lazarus. 
And finally, she gave at his feet her very best. And that was that costly perfume. It is about this third of these that that we only think today. We could speak about all three of those, but let's just focus on that third episode. In that 12th chapter of John, where we see Mary bending with her costly gift at the Lord's feet. We have an exquisite illustration of consecration to Christ. There are five prominent figures in this story. There's Martha, there's Lazarus, there's Mary, there's Judas, and there's the Lord Jesus. Busy Martha, she typifies service. Lazarus, communion. Mary, consecration. Judas, the world's attitude towards consecration, while the Lord himself represents the divine attitude that he wants each one of us to hold. Mary's bringing of that costly, precious perfume to our Lord's feet illustrates consecration in the following ways. It was very costly. It involved being broken. It shed a fragrance. It was discerning. We hear our Lord's comment. What did he say about her gift? It was misunderstood by those around her. But it was prized and it was blessed by our dear Lord. Judas represents the world's attitude. It was the attitude of condemnation. Why waste this gift on Jesus? The objection, I guess, was a little bit plausible. Why not it be sold and the the funds be given to the poor? Yet it was false and hypocritical. The world, as represented by Judas, stands condemned by history as well as condemned by Christ. For consecration to Christ has done more for the poor and the suffering. And as we know, the church has been behind so many efforts over the years, far more than any treasury of government would ever be able to do. All of our poverty efforts, all of our support movements have all had a Christian heritage and a Christian origin. Our Lord, he represents a divine attitude. By him, Mary's lovely sacrifice was praised. Jesus said it was a good work. And it was prized. Verily I say unto you, whoever this gospel, wherever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, what this woman has done, Jesus said, Be told for a memorial of her. Think those words over again. Jesus was prizing what she did, acknowledging her efforts and saying that when the scriptures are read, this act will be retold for what she has done. It's a great gift. Mary's lovely act of devotion meant something inexpressibly precious to Christ. And so it is with us when our, tr- our hearts are truly his. This little episode 
illustrates the meaning of consecration to Christ more appearingly, perhaps, than anything else in the New Testament. Mary's spikenard not only pervaded that long-ago Bethany homestead, as it broke, the fragrance lifted, but its savour and its fragrance lifted, I believe, all the way up to glory. We are left in no doubt that Mary's alabaster box, as Matthew and Mark describe it, was very expensive. As its name indicates, it was from Alabastron in Egypt, famous for its manufacturing of such perfumes. Our first two evangelists tell us that this particular spikenard was very precious. But John, he adds that it was one pound in weight and very costly. Whether Mary had procured it through a merchant or it had been bequeathed to her in an estate, we don't know. But it was very precious to her for many reasons, not just for sentimental reasons, but because she wanted to lay it at the feet of her Lord. Now, there were four choices open to Mary. First, she could have used it entirely on herself, kept it for herself, used it for her own self to smell beautiful. Which, sadly, is what many do with their alabaster boxes and their hearts and their lives in life. So often we keep these things to ourselves. Second, she could have poured it on some of of her friends, perhaps her family, her loved ones, perhaps other than Jesus. Third, she could have given it between herself and her friends and distributed it, you know, 50-50. I'll keep some for myself and I'll give some to my friends. Fourth, there was a choice which she actually made, namely devoting it completely, wholeheartedly, 100% to her Lord. And when she gently unsealed it upon her, upon Jesus' head and feet, she was outpouring a supreme love and a devotion from her heart towards her Lord. There were four motives behind Mary's loving impulse. First, there was reverence. Hers was not mere sentimental adoration for an idol, say, someone that she respected. In that moment, she could see in the manhood of Jesus the incarnate Godhead and a need to worship him because he was worthy of all honour and all praise. Second, there was gratitude. While others seemed blind, her tear-clarified eyes had seen that the way to the throne was via the cross, and the cross was beckoning. Third, there was faith, convinced faith in him, in Jesus, as the Son of God, as the Saviour of this world, as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords. And fourth, there was love. A love which, having been begotten of the others, that's the reverence and the gratitude and so forth, had become the strongest of all. Her desire to love her Lord and show her love to her Lord. There are also four traits here which illustrate all true consecration to Christ. Lip worship 
is not enough. She knew that. She must give. The cheap is not sufficient. She knew that it must be costly, very costly, what she gave. Third, a part was not enough. She must give it all. Not just break it in a few drops, but all of the perfume. The unbroken was not enough. It must be actually outpoured. And Mary must herself fall at the feet of Jesus. The respected Mary, all of those who knew her, she would linger at the feet of Jesus as like a slave, prostrate at the feet of her Lord, in worship, in honour, in praise to him. So how do we compare with that? What would we have done? If we had that same perfume. The same four choices are open to each of us here today. With the alabaster boxes of our lives. May ours, our choice, be that of the highest order. Pouring out our very best at the feet of our Lord, as did Mary. This matter of consecration is of great concern to all of us who love the name of the Lord. Its importance is beyond exaggeration. I don't think we could ever over-exaggerate the need for us to be fully consecrated unto the Lord. It is the golden door which alone admits us into the fullness of the blessing of the Lord. It is the crucial hinge on which all Christian service It is the one and only secret of inward rest and victory over sin. And in exactly in proportion, as we are self-governed instead of Christ-governed, our hearts lack a poise and a quietness and our lives lack a fragrance and our testimony and our witness lacks a strength until we are fully consecrated unto Christ. True consecration to Christ simplifies life, for it leaves the management to him. It also unifies life, for it blends all our motives and our activities in one all-controlling aim, to please him, to honour him. It purifies life, For it expels all that is disapproved by him. It amplifies life, for it gives the divine will spacious fulfilment through us to uplift him. And it glorifies life, for it makes us a blessing to others and a praise unto him. Our entire consecration is that which our Lord himself desires for us, above all else. Far more than our service, our money, our time, or even our prayers, good though those things are, what's behind those is his desire for us to be wholeheartedly devoted to him. There can be no substitute for this, simply because there is no equivalent. 
How important also is our consecration to Christ when we think of the unsaved all around us and of the low spiritual tone or the average, if you like, among Christian believers today and the Lord's nearing return. How important in that context is our desire to be fully consecrated to Christ? Do all Christians want to be consecrated? I think they probably do. Are all Christians fully consecrated? I don't think we are. But I do think they desire a higher level of consecration. Is it because consecration, although in one sense a simple handing over, followed by a simple hands off, it's not me, it's not my will, Lord, but yours, is the hardest of all things to do in this world. You see, we hang on to things. To give this up is so difficult. It might be possible to give this sin or that sin up, but to give our whole life over to Christ, to give up self-management, self-motives, my grudges, my plans, everything, that would be utterly unbearable in our humanness, in our human Adam nature. And that, of course, is well supported by Satan and the world. It is a super crisis of the soul to give up your claim to every bit of merit, your desires for the present, and if necessary, your plans for the future. Your first claim on every dollar you possess, your own ideas, your everything. Not just for a year, or for even five years, or even a decade, but forever. One of the most powerful deterrents might well be our fear of being misunderstood by family or friends or colleagues. But to have such a trustful, grateful, adoring love for Jesus that and all else seems to be secondary when compared to the greatness, the surpassing greatness of him, that's the place to be. And such consecration is indeed the gateway to the full blessings of the Lord. But it also a supreme test of our love. Are we prepared to submit? Are we prepared to let go? Are we prepared to say, not I, but Christ? Are we prepared to surrender? As the scripture says, Are we prepared to die to ourself, to be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God? This is our worship. This is what God requires of us, to be fully consecrated, fully surrendered, humble in the hands of the Almighty. And that brings us to our second reading today. I tried to think of a reading that would be practical for us in our present situation. And so we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, an amazing set of verses. That we're treasures in jars of clay and 
There's an amazing context there given. But I want to particularly this morning focus on verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17. This verse draws a contrast between present tribulations and future compensations, between troubles here and triumphs in the hereafter. Now, we do not know what any day may bring. Today, tomorrow, next Thursday, the following weekend, we just don't know. And sooner than we think, heavy weather may beat upon us. Some of us may already be in the middle of such a situation, struggling with life's confusions, life's situation, life's circumstances. It is well for us to take a look at these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. First, let's view it in the context. As the second member in a series of striking contrasts, in verse 16... There's the contrast between the outward and the inward. Though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. In verse 17, there's the contrast between the present and the future. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Next one, verse 18. Have a look. There is a contrast between the seen and the unseen. We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Next in chapter 5, if we go over to the next chapter, there's a contrast between the earthly and the heavenly. If our earthly tent, tent house be dissolved, We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternally in the heavens. Next in verse 4, there's the contrast between the mortal and the immortal. And finally in verses 6 through 7, 8, there's the contrast between being in the body and being out of the body. Whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We are willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you and I should live with these contrasts ever before our minds. They help us to put a true evaluation on things and circumstances. They set off the merely outward, the present, the seen, the earthly, the mortal, and the bodily against the spiritual and the ultimate, the unseen, the heavenly, the immortal, and being at home with the Lord. But now let's look quickly at verse 17 of chapter 4. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our present troubles are here described in four ways. 
As to their nature, they are affliction. We'll come back to that thought in a moment. As to their weight, they are light. Their duration is described as being but for a moment. And as to their utility, they work for us eternal glory. Sometimes when we're undergoing seemingly so difficult circumstances, adversity that we, we just cannot understand and don't wish to accept, we may even say, Lord, how long do I need to go through this? What are you doing in my life in this situation? We need to remember these words. Let suffering Paul show us that victory in faith is to see the transient present against the everlasting glory, which is in the yet to be. Suffering Paul shows us. You see, theory is one thing, but demonstration is another. Paul not only preaches, he practices and he proves to us and how he endured Here was a man who, although he lived amid the physical, was living in the spiritual. Although amid the temporary, he was living in the eternal. Although amid the earthly, he was living with an eternal, heavenly perspective. So, this verse describes our present troubles in four ways. First, we said their nature is that of an affliction. It is part of this present lot that afflictions will come to us. In this fallen world in which we live, things will happen. Troubles will come knocking on our door. But the afflictions which befall Christians assume a supernatural significance. They are never merely accidental. They are divinely permitted with a purpose and overruled to our eternal good, if we bear them devoutly. Let us always view our present troubles as afflictions in that sense. Secondly, as to their weight, Paul describes them here as light. Some of his own sufferings he describes in chapter 11. We've all heard these. We've read, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was beaten. His life was a testimony of difficult circumstances. What sufferings did he endure? Yet even those are all referred to as light by Paul when compared with the coming reward of glory. And so it is with our own afflictions. Sickness, infirmity, blindness, deafness, business loss, domestic anxieties, disappointments, the list goes on. Temptations, fears, family difficulties. How they can weigh upon us. Yet, they are indeed light when compared with the weight of glory. We heard this morning of a dear brother promoted to glory. He's now enjoying that life. Away from the light afflictions that he suffered in the yet-to-be. For him, it's the now. Third, 
their duration. Paul says our afflictions are but for a moment. Now, did I hear someone even maybe there? Sigh. A long moment sometimes from someone whose cup of trouble has been filled and filled to the brim. It just keeps getting more filled, so they feel. There seems no end to them. Every day brings new waves of disappointment, new waves of frustration, new waves of health issues. Yet, in comparison with those rolling ages yet to be in glory, our longest trials here are but for a moment when compared to glory. Fourth, their utility. Paul says our light afflictions worketh for us. Yes, our afflictions work both for us and in us. They give scope for the exercise and the development of our faith. They stabilise us. They mature us. They lead us to self-examination and purification. They win us from the world. They call Christian graces into activity. They drive us closer to Christ. They promote separation and holiness and consecration to Christ. They quicken our desires for heaven. And they accumulate for us a corresponding reward as we undergo our our hardships faithfully. What did Paul say? I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So looking back over that, that verse, against the affliction is the future glory. Against the light affliction is the weight of glory. Against that which is but for a moment is that which is eternal glory. Over against affliction which worketh for us now is a far more exceeding compensation then. If we faithfully endure, if we're fully consecrated unto Christ. A widely used servant of Christ was asked, what have you found to be the most important practice in your Christian life? And he replied, to view everything in the light of eternity. Sometimes our horizon is too short. If we look at the fullness of eternity, all of these situations and circumstances that we're going through take on a completely new set of ideas. This matter of affliction, then, is one which we ought to relate ourselves to, I think, in a really prayerful and a consecrated way. I'm going to read to you this uh, quote which I've, I found recently. Um, Mrs. Charles Spurgeon, wife of the famous Victorian preacher, was for many years afflicted with illness which at times was acutely distressing. One wintry evening, as the deeper darkness drew on, she lay on her couch, much discouraged, and wondering again why such lingering affliction 
should be allowed to frustrate the service she would have been rendering to the Lord. Suddenly, she heard a clear musical sound like the trill of a robin. But no, surely no robin could be singing out there in such wintry darkness. Again, the melodious notes stole into the room. And then she found to her surprise that they came from the fireplace. The fire was letting loose the imprisoned music from the heart of an old oak log which was burning there. The old oak had garnered up this melody. But since then it had grown old and hardened. Ring after ring of knotted growth had sealed up the long forgotten melody. Until at last, the fierce tongues of the flames consumed his callousness and enabled him to sing his sweetest song, even amid self-sacrifice as the log was burning. Singing in the fire, said Mrs. Spurgeon. If that is the only way to get a song of praise, then let the furnace be heated seven times hotter. You see, she understood the truth of these verses. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and verse 10, John writes, I behold and lo, a great multitude which no man could number stood before the throne, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. It will be wonderful to wave our palm of final victory then, when, like our brother, has gone. But that which prepares us for it is our learning here and now to say hallelujah, maybe even through our tears, as we know that this affliction has been sent by the Lord for our good. And it is but for a moment. I don't know your situation. I don't know if you're going through some trials or tribulations or difficulties at home or in work. But what I do know is that whatever those tribulations are, what God requires of us is to be fully consecrated to him. He wants us to be like Mary, who knew the value of her Lord and was prepared to give it all, broken at his feet, even though those around perhaps didn't understand. But she did. And the Lord appreciated it because her life was completely consecrated unto Christ. And here Paul reminds us that even in the difficulties of life, in those circumstances, those situations where life is difficult, those situations have been sent by the Lord to sharpen us, to refine us, to shape us, to grow us, to be the men and the women 
the boys and the girls that God calls us to be. And so through those difficult situations, even through those tears, like Mrs Spurgeon, that robin, that trill will come through the, the, the old oak tree and we can say, not I, but Christ who lives in me. Not by my strength, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I know that this affliction is but for a moment and it's working in me. And it's a means for me to be consecrated, fully consecrated unto Christ. And perhaps there won't be an opportunity for us to break a perfume at the feet of Jesus. But the analogy of the story, it's a true story of Mary who did just that. And who knows, she may well have been going through some difficult times. But despite those difficult times, she was fully consecrated to Christ, breaking the very best, the most expensive, at the feet of Jesus. And that's what he has for us to do as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign. We thank you, Lord, that all things happen to us and around us for a reason. And Lord, despite the difficulties that we might be going through, despite the circumstances we might be living in or living with, Lord, we know that they are but for a moment. And Lord, they're working for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. And Lord, we know that true consecration to you is us giving ourselves fully. And it may be costly, it will be costly, but we must give our all. We must outpour ourselves at the feet of our Lord. And Lord, this is our worship. To be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto you. Lord, may you unify us. May you purify us. And may you glorify us. As we learn to be fully committed, fully consecrated unto you on a day-by-day basis, in your strength, by your grace, and for your glory. And may we be encouraged today to keep our eyes fixed on you as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.